Ari Rosenbaum here with what appears to be the 260th episode of that 4K podcast, which means if you do it right, uh, learn a little thing or two about uh, Division, 52 weeks, and take 260 divided by 52 weeks, you get five years. We've been doing this for five years. That's hard to believe, but, you know, when you think about it, I've been <laughs> on my own, my own practice for... 13 and a half years well, come October. But anyway, this week's topic, we're going to talk about how plan providers um, should nitpick and overcharge on their fees, uh, just experiences, and some of the weird things that I've seen of late. Um, and so, uh, without further ado, go to that site.com for further information on all our, our events. We still got a planned sponsor event within about five weeks on October 13th. Uh, I believe that's a Friday. We got the that 4 k National Virtual Conference in January. We got May 3rd in Arlington, Texas, June, I think, the 6th in Yankee Stadium. Hopefully within the next couple weeks we'll get some um, – information up for people to sign up on those events. I know for Texas, we're going to have a situation where the game is on Thursday night. So, you know, people that we know uh, who, who like to attend these things will have a couple tickets for you guys. Yankee Stadium, we'll see how what we do. Um, you know, we're trying to contain the cost of these events, so we may limit the amount of tickets that we have because a lot of times in the past, you know, you'd buy uh, you know, 20, 25 tickets and, you know, five, six people show up. So we're going to probably try to change that, cut down on the costs, and uh, make these events uh, more uh, feasible again. But again, go to that 4 This is the first uh, new, when I say new episode, you know, I didn't put in the can um, during uh, vacation. I took the longest vacation I've had, and I want to say since my parents took us on a Domenico bus ride uh, to the West Coast in 1990. I think that was, this is, this is, but that 13 days that I took a vacation was longer than my honeymoon and quite uh, the longest vacation that I've taken in 33 years. And, uh, you know, I didn't take a bus ride, bus tour. Wasn't afraid like my father was about, uh, you know, uh, freeways and whatnot. We flew into Seattle and over 13 days, went from Seattle to San Diego. Hit all six MLB ballparks, including, you know, stadiums I've, you know, been to. We were in Seattle in September. Um, it's coming up on the first anniversary of the Seattle Conference, which was the last in-person event that I've done. And, uh, you know, went all the way down, even went to some of the stadiums that I haven't been to. I added Oakland and San Diego to the tally, so no need to have events there, even though I did try to have an Oakland event, and that didn't really generate, generate any interest. So I'm up to 26. I got four ballparks left to go. That's Texas, Milwaukee, Cincinnati, Detroit. And we'll see how we get to 30, hopefully sometime next year. We'll see what happens. But in any event, let's talk about the topic at hand. Um, as many of you know, and I've discussed it, uh, I just have to say top ten movie, Caddyshack, is certainly, um, you know, definitely in the top ten. 
it's interesting what you loved when you were a kid still you love today so um i remember first watching caddyshack i i didn't see it in the theaters i think it was rated r that was in the summer of 80 i think by summer of 81 we had hbo which was kind of weird in brooklyn because our brooklyn didn't get cable until 1989 but there was a hookup where you could get hbo uh legally it was in the back of the tv you make the switch, uh, I think it was on Channel 3 maybe, and it would flip to HBO. And I remember when we got HBO in 1980. Um, in those days, WHT was the bigger deal. Uh, we met Go Home Theater, which was a, which was a different kind of system where you, you'd switch it off to a, a certain channel. I think it was Channel 67 or 68, and you'd use the Scrambler. Um, and WHT was a little more popular because, if I recall correctly, uh, they did have Islander games and I want to say New Jersey Nets maybe or, or whatnot. So summer of 81, I saw Caddyshack, and I've been in love with that movie ever since. Um, I do have a Halloween costume of Al Chervik. Um, Al Chervik is the Rodney Dangerfield character, and I've always been... Um, I've certainly always been, um, you know, a, a simpatico, I guess, simpatico with the character, uh, mainly because, um, you know, when I worked at that law firm, which, you know, these days we can say it, what it is, and I got to assume it, Meyer Swazi, English and Klein, the managing attorney just didn't like me. And so I always imagined that Lois was uh, Judge Smales. And, uh, you know, I was Al Chervik, and you know, some people just don't belong. One of my favorite scenes in Caddyshack, and I've always referenced it when people raise prices, is the scene where Danny Noonan, Mike, played by Michael O'Keefe, which I met, uh, met about two years ago at a card show. Uh, I met Michael O'Keefe and Cindy Morgan, who played Lacey. Um, somewhere in my son's room, we have a, a pin flag from... Bushwood signed by the two of them because of COVID or whatever. I couldn't get pictures with Cindy and, and Michael. But um, Noonan was in place. Lou asked Noonan. Lou was played by Brian Doyle Murray, who uh, it's obviously uh, Bill Murray's brother. And uh, I think Brian did co-write the script with Harold Ramis. And... Uh, Brian Doyle Murray's character, Lou, runs the caddy stand, the caddy shack, and he tells Noonan to help him look, uh, he has got to make, Lou's got to make phone calls, so Noonan's got to man a desk, and Noonan does Tony D'Annunzio, played by Scott Columby. Uh, Scott Columby, um, you don't hear from much every day, but back in the late 70s, early 80s, he was in quite a few things. Um... Uh, he was in Porky's, all three Porky's movies, and he was also the love interest for Barbara Cooper on One Day at a Time. And at one point, he did, you know, date one of my crushes, all-time crushes, Valley Bertinelli, for some time. So anyway, Denunzio wants Coke, and I think he gives Noonan a buck, and um, Noonan gives it back 50 cents, and I think in those days it was 35 cents. I, I remember as a kid... Uh, camp, the can of, can of soda. At my camp, we didn't have uh, brand name sodas. We had uh, generic sodas, and the generic soda was 
Hoffman soda. That was 35 cents. And uh, Noonan gives him back 50 cents instead of 65 cents. And the Nuncio wants to you know, know why Coke is so much more. And Noonan just basically tells him Coke is so much more because Lewis loses money at the track. And I've always used that line anytime uh, we reference somebody raising prices. Lou, I always use that line. Lou is losing money at the track. And Denunzio doesn't want to pay for the Coke. And Noonan says, well, you know, you don't want to pay 50 cents for a Coke. You get no Coke. And then Noonan drinks the Coke and gets into a fight with Denunzio and all that stuff. But there are so many things when it comes to billing where I feel that plant providers make a lot of mistakes. Um, that's how I always see it. Um, and, and, you know, as an risk attorney trying to bail out clients, um, you know, of certain situations, this is something that, you, you, you know, as part of my job, um, I got to get involved with, which I don't really like to do. But listen, it's part of the job. And I think that, you know, obviously being a retirement plan provider, um, you know, it's a, it's a hard business, especially in the TPA side of things. And everybody's looking for a couple extra bucks, raise some revenue, you know, a gimmick. And I understand that. But as somebody who represents plant sponsors, as somebody who is a plant provider, I have to say that plant sponsors hate to be nickeled and dimed. Um, it's just an interesting concept. I, I just, you know, it's the same thing. I'm, I'm in this uh, this kosher food, kosher restaurant, you know, Facebook group, and people complain about these surcharges and all that stuff. And people don't mind paying a little bit more, but just don't overcharge them on these kind of cockamamie, you know, concepts. Um, uh, I remember a certain TPA years ago, uh, they got caught. Uh, there was obviously a situation going on with revenue sharing. So um, they were properly, finally properly disclosing revenue sharing, but then they said, well, we're going to charge this asset-based custodial fee of, you know, 20 basis points or something like that. When you knew the custodial charge at most uh, in those days was maybe seven basis points. But whatever it is, People don't like to be nickel and dime. They'll, they'll pay a little bit more plan sponsors. They just don't want to, you know, get socked for every little thing. That's how I see it. And number one, I think that plan sponsors uh, want transparency, and plan providers really need to, you know, provide it. I mean, the old days, you know, the good old days, as I always call it, pre-fee disclosure, TPAs could tell a plan sponsor, listen, uh, I'm going to move you from custodial platform to this revenue sharing platform. Um, you know, not speaking out of turn, but Fidelity had two plat at least two platforms when I remembered it. It was a 279, which was non-revenue sharing, to 251, which was revenue sharing. So there was a certain TPA. Um, not going to name them, but, you know, I think a lot of people know who I'm talking about. Um they would move you from 279 to 251. They'll say, you know, we're cutting your fees. 
uh, we're, we're going to give you a break by, by making this change. But what they never told the client pre-fee disclosure was we're making it back and then more through revenue sharing. So client thinks they're getting a break, but the TPA was making more and more money on the plan by making that switch over. You know, and of course those days are long gone. Fee disclosure says, you know, you're a plan provider. You have to provide the direct and indirect fees that you're receiving. And, uh, and, and that's that. Um, but obviously there's still, I think when it comes to fees and transparency, I still think that there are loopholes. And uh, I believe that the UL will eventually over time change those and we'll talk about those fees. And um, I talk, you know, endlessly about fees and about these specific fees in question. But, um, you know, I, I think people understand in this day and age of inflation, there's going to be price increases, uh, obviously cost, um, you know, increases, uh, salaries of employees increase, health insurance certainly increases, but I think a plant provider should make any changes, uh, you know, to the fee structure within the bounds of a contract, within the bounds of fee disclosure, and not play any kind of games or gimmicks that are going to really, in the end, hurt themselves more than it's going to hurt plan sponsors. Because I always believe that if you're playing games with your fees, that um, you're eventually going to get found out. Uh, in this day and age, fee disclosure regulations, uh, they make it easier for you know plan sponsors to understand their fees. And, uh, competing plan providers could take that and say, you know, you're paying for this and you really shouldn't be. You know, that kind of stuff. And I believe that no matter how much you have transparency, the transparency can't help plan providers with price increases that make absolutely no sense. So even if you're working within the parameters of the contract and the fee disclosure regulations, plan sponsors think that price increases have to be modest and within the lines of what inflation is. And this goes back to, I kept on using this line when I left a certain TPA in 2007. So between the time I you know, left that TPA and started my own practice, you're talking about three years. So at that point working for that TPA, I was the, I, I called myself the army of one. I had no secretary. I no longer had a paralegal, so I was knocking out the plan documents left and right. And I knew at a certain point that if I did leave, they're going to have to hire quite a few people to replace me. Not one person, but, you know, at least two. And, you know, outside of the job uh, with my own practice, which is not really a job, uh, it's like it's a life, but for working for others in the 15 years that I worked for other people, um, I'm sorry, it's 12 years working for other people, it was the best job I ever had. And if it wasn't for uh, the chief operating officer and the minority partner of the business, uh, if it wasn't for him, I'd probably still be there. Maybe they'd still be there. But it was the best job I ever had. Uh, I liked the, uh, you know, the pay wasn't great. Uh, health insurance stunk. But it was the best job I ever had. And, you know, probably, you know, working with... Uh, Working with Rich Lorita obviously helped with that, uh, but I 
kind of learned a lot of the skills that I needed to start my own practice. So without that experience, uh, probably not, probably not here today uh, with you right now. So anyway, uh, I left in 2007. Rich Larita was getting sick, and I, I just I, I saw the writing on the wall in terms of what was going to happen to us. And lo and behold, it didn't take two people to replace me. It took three. Uh, two attorneys and a paralegal. So like lo losing money at the track, you know, that TPA had to now, you know, they, they nit nitpicked me on salaries. And I think I, when I left, I was making 120. Uh, I started out, uh, I think I was at 80. And when they bumped me to head attorney, he gave me five grand, the boss, which I was looking for $100,000 at the time. And, you know, you get a promotion, you get a $5,000 raise. It's really pathetic. But, you know, over the years I've learned, you know, they'll pay you as little as they can. You should speak up if you, if you can. So the problem with replacing me is now you have three salaries. And I assure you the three salaries that they pay these people dwarfed mine. Um, and so the problem was is that the legal fees increased by almost 50%. That included those... I want to say it was the 415 amendments that were had to be put in place, these ancillary amendments, which, you know, effectively, in all honesty, is, an, is, is a mail merge document. Because all the language is the same for every plan out there. And they went from 475 to 800 bucks. Uh, that's a big steep for, like I said, boilerplate language. And then they were nitpicking because they started charging for a safe harbor notice. And they were charging like 150 bucks, which is ridiculous when you think about it, because in those days, and even t today, all it is is a plain year switch, search and replace, replace 2023 with 2024 come December the 1st. And of course, with Safe Harbor non-electives, you don't even need to do the notice like you did in the past. Matching, obviously, you have to. And, um, you know, obviously, when I was working at that uh, law firm, uh, Meyer Swazi, whatever, I was doing those amendments for about 300 bucks. And I was getting some business from my old clients. And like the Nunzio, who was unimpressed with Lou losing money at the track, uh, plain sponsors really don't want to know your troubles. So if you have to replace a, you know, a whole boatload of employees and you have to increase because of staffing issues and all that stuff, because you know that one superstar left and you had to replace him by three, uh, they don't care. They don't care, and they don't want to pay for it. So I think, again, everybody expects increase in pricing because of you know, inflation and whatnot, but not as a result of problems you can't manage. Listen, I got my tax bill yesterday. We can deal, um, you know, thanks to the tax cap in New York, we can deal with the 2-3% increases in the, in, in, the, in the school tax, but, you know, the sanitation tax, because of the inefficiency and the moronic policies of the reformers I helped elect, you know, our taxes went up by 13%. That's nonsense. People will accept, um, you know, modest increases. They will not accept something outrageous like a 13% increase. And transparency won't help with the nitpicking of fees. Um, I, 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 you know, let's face it, most plan sponsors don't read the contracts. They don't read the fee disclosures. So, so even if you, you know, give you a menu of services that you provide and you're transparent on the fees, they don't like nitpicking. Case in point recently, I have a client 
financial advisory firm. Um, they have a client, plan sponsor. Uh, they want to change a fund lineup. They took over the plan. The TPA wants to charge $1,500 for a fund lineup change. Uh, I'm sure there are people here who will disagree, but in 25 years, I don't recall a plan sponsor ever having to pay for a fund lineup change. Because in my opinion, it's an important fiduciary function, and why nitpick? But I guess a lot of these no-frill providers out there with the fee transparency and the bare-bones kind of service, they're going to try to make any uh, money they can. And it was $100 per fund, and uh, the plan sponsor really wasn't aware of it. It was fully disclosed in the, in the contract, and the, the, you know, the, the expenses for services provided. Uh, I just think that, that that's nitpicking. Listen, I understand that people want to, you know, make money and you try to make money for any work that you do, but I think the plan sponsors were at pay a little bit more from the onset than get nitpicked for $1,500 for a fund lineup change. Um, you know, it's the same thing as a kid, you know, you know, thanks to my profession, thanks to my wife's job, we live a better life than, you know, my parents did. And, to go out and eat once in a while, I think we went out to eat once once a week. It was a huge deal, and it was the local diner. It was the Arch Diner, which is no more. It was on Ralph Avenue at Flatlands in, in Brooklyn. And I remember as a kid, um, you know, you get a full dinner with your meal. I remember the kid's meal, um, and there was a certain point where I just didn't want the kid's meal anymore. But you could get a full dinner, or you could pay a la carte. And I loved their wedge salad. Um, it, and wedge salad was nonsense. All it was, it was, you know, you go to a restaurant these days and they have the wedge salad, they put bacon on it, they put this, this and that. Literally the arch diner was just a piece of lettuce, like a wedge of, you know, uh, butter lettuce or whatever it is. And as a kid, I loved it. Uh, I think at that time I liked French dressing, even though I'm more of a creamy Italian or Caesar or whatever. But as a kid, you order the full dinner because a la carte, you get killed. And again, I think that people would rather pay a higher fee from the onset that get nitpicked on every little thing. And I think that charging $1,500 for a fun lineup change is no different than the car dealer charging me for a friggin' steering wheel on a new car. You can't use it without it. And I again, I understand people want to make money. Um, they can, but I think the plan sponsors are just not going to appreciate it. The biggest fee dispute these days, and again, I, I had this issue with a plan that, that I'd run. Um, it's that retirement plan that uh, really is, you know, financially most rewarding uh, piece of business that I've had. And I got into a dispute with them. And I spoke to somebody who's very well known in the industry, and he said that the number one uh, fee dispute these days is dealing with termination. Um, and, uh, you know, who does what when you're terminating the service of, you know, a third-party administrator. Now, hiring a plan provider is like getting married. You go in with the best of intentions, and you never think that it will end at some point. And, you know, marriages, listen, I'm lucky... Um, a couple days, next week will be going on 20 years, and 
I think the divorce rate is 50%. Maybe it's a little bit less these days, but it's about 50%. Uh, most people go in, no prenup, no antenuptial agreement. And, you know, you go with the best of intentions, and, and that's what it is. And you don't care about what happens when things go bad. Marriage is not hiring a plan provider, because I assure you, hiring a plan provider, there's a definite end. Unlike, let's say, a marriage, I guess death is, there will be a definite end, so I'll take that back. But uh, I understand that in the TPA world, there is deconversion fees. Uh, I don't like it. Uh, the reason I don't like it is I know of no other business where you terminate a provider and you still got to pay them for firing them. I change doctors, I change, you know, you could change attorneys, you could fire me, you could fire the auditor on the plan. We don't charge termination fees. We don't charge deconversion fees. And I understand that there's a cost involved. Being a TPA is obviously a lot more work than being an ERISA attorney, and there's costs involved. But I think it's a cost of doing business. You're going to get hired and fired. It's part of the job. You're hired to be fired. Meaning, at one point or another, uh, your services with your client will end at a certain time. Uh, maybe on their end, because they go out of business or they get bought out, or for whatever reason. And so, you know, I had this situation, this New Jersey-based TPA. The termination costs weren't fully spelled out um, in the contract. They said they could charge a fee, but it doesn't say how much. And this TPA was known as taking these firings personally. It's not personal, it's business. But you tell that to a narcissist, they don't think it. They think it's, they think it's, you know, they think it's a personal insult. And they're going to make you pay. So they wanted to charge us uh, $80,000 or no, 50 something thousand dollars for termination costs. And on top of that, they wanted to charge us about 80 grand for evaluation and the 5,500. Because we fired them in February of 2021, and uh, they said, "Well, you know, we're doing this work in July. We get, we got to get paid." Well, guys, we we did pay you an annual fee, and again, annual fee comes with a val and 5,500, regardless of when you do it, whether you do it in July, or whether you do it in October, uh, we, we paid you. So this has been just a dispute that's been going to the DOL, and DOL's been investigating for the last couple of years. Maybe one day they'll come down from Mount Sinai and and offer us something. But, um, you know, we're not the only plan sponsor that complained about, about these changes and costs and whatnot. And, you know, I believe the Department of Labor eventually will have enough of this. Um, you know... You can't replicate fees for what you've already been provided for and paid for. And I think the deconversion fees uh, have to be more explicit, uh, some kind of frame as to what these fees are and what can be done and, and all that kind of stuff. Because I, I think that this is, um, you know, we I work for a TPA and the, the termination cost varied, and it varied on who the advisor was. Now, if this was an advisor who had plans with us, they were going to get a better termination fee cost than somebody who, you know, this was the advisor's only plan and they're leaving us. In conclusion, you know, a plan provider has to realize that their reputation is at stake. We all want to make money, but, you know, some of us want to be more honest than the rest. 
how you act in business and how you charge fees will be remembered by plan sponsors and other plan providers if you do good work and are reasonable fees. They will remember you. If you nitpick and you chisel over the littlest of things, they will remember that too. And I think that they will remember that more. People like dirt. They like bad news. They like, you know, they like gossip. And they will gossip about you more if you charge and nitpick over fees than if you're just a reasonable person and, you know, there are no fee issues. People like dirt. They like gossip. It, it travels fast. This guy is a chiseler. Uh, you know, he, he tried to get me for fees that I already paid for. That, that, that story travels a lot more faster than the really good TPA that uh, give me a, you know, just charge me whatever was, you know, a reasonable expectation of what the conversion fees were. Now, again, like I said, deconversion fees, I'm not a fan of it, but I understand that uh, this is what it is, and I'm not going to change the business um, until, you know, the government changes the business. And that's that. So, hope you enjoyed this week's episode, the fifth anniversary, apparently. Uh, and uh, hope you tune in next week for another episode of that 4K podcast. Thanks.